Good morning. My name is Joel. Today's reading comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Please follow along in your Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, this is 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 5. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology, parents and guardians of children in kindergarten through second grade are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join in kids' commons. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you've heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living in it, living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in the darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and welcome to Haverhill Commons Church. I'm Chrissy, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's just good to be together to worship. As we do every week, I'd like to invite you just to pause for a moment, to allow yourself to become present, to notice where you are, to notice God. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of community, for this chance to be together, and to be together with you. Thank you for your presence with us, for the ways that you love us. Pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, that we would notice the things that you are speaking to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So for those of you who don't know this about me, I was a children's ministry director for quite a few years. So you might say that concrete illustrations are kind of in my DNA right by now. So we're going to start this morning with a good old-fashioned object lesson. And that means I'm going to need a little participation here, okay? So feel free to shout stuff out. Just call it back to me. Um, so I have something here. What is this? Anyone? Bread Thank you. <laughs> Bread dough. <laughs> he may have watched me make it. Um, 
All right, has anybody else ever made bread? Okay, so what's the first thing that you have to do? What are you going to start with? Yeah, August. You're going to need flour, that's right. What else? You're going to need yeast, right? So I brought some this morning. We've got some yeast. And what does yeast do when you add it to dough? Yeah. It makes it rise, right? So when you put yeast in bread, you're going to get bread that looks like that, which, by the way, is the other half of this bread dough. Um, so what happens if I don't put yeast in the bread? What was that? It won't rise, right? So if I don't put yeast in the bread, I'm going to wind up with bread that looks like this, right? Unleavened bread, matzah, it's going to be flat. So how much yeast do I need for a loaf of bread to turn this into that big puffy bread? Am I going to need like this much yeast? No? Keep going? I'm only going to need about the amount in this little bag, right? This is the amount that I use to make two loaves of bread. That's it. All right. So within an hour or two, this little bag of yeast is going to work its way through the whole loaf of bread, and it's going to cause it to rise and grow. And no part of that dough is going to be unaffected by this yeast, right? So hold on to this idea for a couple of minutes, because we're going to come back to it. And while we're going, you can feel free to check in on how our bread dough is doing here. <clears throat> so this morning, we're going to continue our series on 1 John called The Gospel in Real Life, Life, Light, and Love. And as Matt mentioned last week, John is writing to a church who was probably already familiar with his gospel, attempting to correct some false teaching that had arisen in the church, particularly he was addressing the early form of what later came to be known as Gnosticism, the idea that particular right knowledge or special knowledge is what saves us. And Gnostics valued this special knowledge far more than anything else, and definitely more than ethical living and right actions. And so John is instructing them on how to live as followers of Jesus. So last week we talked about real life, what is real, and how we're invited to participate in a real relationship with God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's our starting place. We're invited into real fellowship with God. And just like we started with an object lesson this morning, the passage that Joel just read for us is one of John's object lessons. He's going to use light and darkness, two very real things that we actually experience in the world, to help us understand some of what it means to live in fellowship with God through Jesus. So John presents us with two ideas about living in the light, understanding our own sinfulness and actually loving each other. <clears throat> so before we dive into this passage, sin can be a pretty loaded word, so let's define it first. At its core, sin is the things we do or say, the attitudes that we bring that set us in opposition or against the good that God intended for us. So while we are sometimes breaking God's laws when we do this, sin isn't rule-breaking, and it's not just a generic being bad. 
Sin is the things that keep us from having the abundant real life that God wants us to have. It's a consistent, repetitive, tragic choice to do the things that are destructive to ourselves and to others. And I think there are two angles from which to think about sin. The first is the sin we consciously, knowingly choose. When we choose to be selfish or greedy, proud or arrogant, thinking that it will bring us life, when in reality it's pushing us towards death. The second is the sin that is baked into our being as people who were born into a broken and sinful world. It's not so much a conscious choice, but more like a disease or brokenness in us that predisposes us to see the world inaccurately, that twists us in on ourselves until we're so fearful of what we might lose that we lose sight of those around us, lose our ability to love others well or to be oriented towards them. Like Paul talks about in Romans 7, we lose the ability to do the things we want to do and instead find ourselves doing the very things we do not want to do. But before John talks about darkness and about sin, he's going to tell us about light and about God. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Very possibly, John is finding some common ground with the Gnostics on this one. God is light, pure, holy, completely perfect, and totally other. And there is no darkness in him at all. There's nothing that taints God. No hidden agenda. No tiny speck of darkness that might grow into something more. Complete perfection. To go back to our bread dough illustration this morning, I'd like us to think of God like the matzah. No matter what, it's consistently going to come out flat. There's nothing in it to make it rise. And like that, no matter what, God is consistently going to be perfectly holy and good. There's nothing, no yeast, no sin, no brokenness, no sickness in God to make God otherwise. God is light. But what does it mean to live in that light? When you picture someone who lives in the light, what kind of person are they? Does living in the light mean that if we study enough and get our theology right, if we know more or better than the person next to us, if we're the ones who have it figured out, are we all set? We've arrived. Like the Gnostics is John saying that our actions don't matter as long as we have the right knowledge, the right theology. Or does John use light as a way to talk about revealing what is real and true and good? To help us understand what it means to walk in the light, John gives us two real outcomes that walking in the light produces. Fellowship with each other and the forgiveness of sins. This is what it means to be living and walking in the light, fellowship with each other and the forgiveness of sins. But first, we have to come to grips with our own sin. John tells us if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. At an intellectual level, I think a lot of us know this especially any of us who grew up in or have spent significant time in the church. 
We've heard it hundreds or perhaps even thousands of times. Jesus died to save us from our sins, which logically, of course, means that we have sins that we need to be saved from. But I think perhaps there's another level that experiential affects how we live and act level where maybe we don't really know this. We might not say it, but in some corner of our hearts, we might like to believe that we're really not that bad. Sure, I've made mistakes, but not like those people. Not like those fill-in-the-blanks. I'm not a sinner like them. Yeah, maybe I mess up from time to time, but I'm not a bad person. We like to rank our sins. Some of them we find pretty acceptable. Buying or taking more than we need, which is our greed. Judging others quickly, little lies, gossip. The pride of thinking that we've earned what we have. Those can sometimes be kind of acceptable to us. Others we can be prone to judging quite quickly and harshly, sexual sin chief among them. Let's pause and go back to our bread dough. Does anybody remember how much yeast it takes to make a loaf of bread? Yeah? Just the little bag, right? Full disclosure here, total moment of plagiarism, I stole our object lesson straight from the Bible. Yeast, or leaven, is often used to talk about the pervasive nature of our sin. <clears throat> Jesus uses this analogy with his disciples, and Paul tells us, don't you realize that sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? We so often want to look at our own sin and minimize it. It's just a little bit. It's not that bad. Like this bag of yeast, it's so small. I can contain it, keep it under control. I mean, it's not really hurting anyone. Everyone does it, right? And yet, like this bag of yeast mixed into bread dough, when our sin is mixed into our life, it grows, and we can't actually control it. We can't isolate it to one little corner any more than we can isolate the yeast in this bread to one little section of the bread. This is the darkness inside of us. The separation from God's light that makes it harder and harder to see ourselves clearly. We all have it, and it's pervasive. And just in case we didn't get it the first time, John lands at home once more saying, if we claimed we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Calling God a liar. Choosing not God. We are so good at deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're better than we are. And like Proverbs reminds us, so good at convincing ourselves that we know better than God. God puts goodness and light before us and invites us to walk in it, and we say, thanks, but no thanks. That path over there looks good to me. Even as we walk into darkness and death and destruction on it. This is the very heart of the gospel. All of us 
every single one of us was so trapped and stuck in our sin, in our choice of not God. Its darkness was so pervasively spread through our lives, and we were so separate from relationship with God because of it that we had no real hope of ever getting out, of being made right with God, of ever walking in the light, unless God did something about it. And into that very dark reality, Jesus, the true light, stepped in and brought us forgiveness and freedom. That's the gospel. Real light, Jesus, overcomes the real darkness in us. And when we're willing to recognize that, when we're willing to come to terms with our own sin and darkness and confess it, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There's a humility required to receive forgiveness. The humility of acknowledging that we need it. This word confess, in Greek it's homologeo, literally means to say the same thing. So biblically speaking, to confess our sin is to say the same thing about our sin that God does. So instead of calling God a liar, we're agreeing with God about our sin. Yes, God, you're right. I have chosen, not you. And by doing so, I have hurt and destroyed myself and others around me. Confession brings us into agreement with God. Friends, we're a community of people who are loved and forgiven by Jesus, not a community of people who got it right. We're a community of grace-seeking and grace-receiving sinners, not a community of the better-thans. And we all come to the cross on completely level ground. And if we can't see or acknowledge that, if we think we're standing a step above someone else, if we ever think we're better than someone else, more deserving than someone else, then we're probably not standing at the foot of the cross. Living in the light means agreeing with God that we have sinned and trusting that Jesus will forgive us and cleanse us and restore us. And when we do that, the other thing that happens is that we will love one another in a way that is real and pure. John writes, Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This command to love your neighbor was as old as Moses. And yet, John tells us, it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For darkness is disappearing and true light is already shining. So it's not new, but it's new. I think John is suggesting that it's not a new command. The people of God were always to be people who loved one another. But in Jesus, there is both a new expression of that commandment and also a new ability for us to follow it. Yes, the yeast of our sin is pervasive, 
affecting everything we do. And the real light of Christ is also pervasive, searching out every corner of darkness. Jesus' light overcomes our darkness. His forgiveness takes away our sins. So in Jesus, we are now empowered to love others the way God always intended for us to love others. Not new, and yet new. In essence, this is John's litmus test as to the validity of someone's claim to live in the light. Do they live by the command to love their neighbor? If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. If we think we're living in the light but still hating our sisters and our brothers, John tells us we're so blinded by our own hatred that we don't even know what light is anymore. I want to be clear on one thing this morning. God does not stop loving us because we choose to hate others. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are the ones pushing God away. But habitual hatred left unchecked grows like the yeast. The daily, hourly choice to push away God's love and the love of others around us hardens our hearts, which makes it harder and harder for us to accept God's love or to convey God's light to others. We're never standing still. We're either walking towards the light or we're walking away from it, further into darkness. And I wonder if this is why John starts by making sure we understand our own sin, the debt we ourselves have been forgiven. I think humility and gratitude soften our hearts and expand our ability to love one another. When we know where we were, when we know who we were, the dark place from which we have been rescued, the pervasiveness of our sin from which we could not save ourselves, then our hearts respond in gratitude to God for restoring our relationship with God, for God's love and grace and salvation. And when we start there, it's easier to love our neighbor because it's harder to think that we're any better. Our refusal to recognize our own sin breeds pride, which breeds disdain, which is fertile ground for hating our brothers and sisters. And from that pride and disdain and hatred come all sorts of darkness in our lives and in our churches and in the world. You know it, you feel it, you've seen it. Everything from the way the American church once used the Bible to justify slavery, to disdain those of another race, to nasty church splits over minor theological issues, where people who once worshiped together take each other to court over who gets to keep the building. We see it in the divisive way we so quickly let political differences create rifts in relationships, even with our sisters and brothers. And we see it in our own hearts, where we quietly, secretly judge our neighbors, assessing our sin to be more forgivable than theirs, and throwing stones at them while ignoring our own sin. 
And all the while, the yeast of our sin is methodically, relentlessly rising, spreading through our lives, working its way through the whole loaf, growing into hatred and disdain, until we can no longer see and acknowledge and honor the image of God in our fellow believers. And like bread, no matter how much we try to punch it down, it's just going to start rising again. Maybe we can cover it up for a little while, make ourselves look acceptable. But we haven't really solved anything. The yeast is still in there. We're still walking in darkness and hatred. But friends, the story doesn't end there because light always overcomes darkness. And there is no darkness in our God. Do you know how you get flat bread? You make it without yeast. And that's what Jesus does for us. He remakes us by the power of his spirit into bread without yeast, into those who are characterized by light and not by darkness, into those who can love our neighbors and live in fellowship even when we disagree because we know what it is to be forgiven and to forgive, because we are a new creation a new person. As I've been thinking about this passage and what it means to live in the light, I keep coming back to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. This idea of forgiveness is so central to Jesus that it's part of how he taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Forgive us and Forgive them. For John, this is what it looks like to live in the light. Forgiveness for us and for all the ones who sin against us. So that we all can live in fellowship with God and with each other. There are a lot of places we could find ourselves in this story this morning. Perhaps as I've talked a lot about, you find yourself wanting to minimize your own sin. Quick to think you've got it right and you're doing okay. Equally quick to judge others who might not have it as right as you do. When I'm honest, this is sometimes the camp I find myself in. I like to think I'm not that bad. Feels better that way. And if this is you, I invite you this morning to find some time and space to sit with these words of John and of Jesus. To be honest about your own sin, to let the Spirit first convict you and then heal you. Because, beloveds, dearly loved children, our inclusion into the people of God, into the community of Jesus, it doesn't ride on our own ability to get it all right. We're not going to get thrown out if we don't have it all together. And there is deep freedom to be experienced in walking in the light, in recognizing and confessing our sin and experiencing the real light of Jesus' forgiveness and grace really changing our lives. And there is real fellowship and community to be experienced when we can join others in that. 
Maybe that's not a struggle for you this morning. Maybe not at all. Maybe you know the depth of your own sin and brokenness. You're overcome by a feeling of shame and unworthiness. Maybe what is less certain for you is whether you can really be forgiven, healed, restored. Whether there really could be a place for you in the people of God. If that's you, my invitation is still to find some time and space to sit with these words of John and of Jesus. Because, beloveds, dearly loved children of God, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. To live in the light is to live as people for whom the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not some sin, not someone else's sin, not most of our sin, but all sin. No matter what you've done, no matter what anyone else has told you, even if that person was a spiritual leader or sitting in the pew next to you, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus is available to anyone and everyone who is willing to confess their sin and to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Full stop. No exceptions. We're all invited this morning to walk in the light, to let Jesus' light overcome the darkness, first within us and then in the world around us, and perhaps even through us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. Let's be the people who walk in the light.